why don't we jump into the Word? First Samuel chapter 13. Starting in verse 5. And it goes like this. Then the Philistines, the Philistines, the arch enemy of the Israelites, the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. What they're trying to say is there was a lot of people in their army. And they came up and they encamped in Michmash to the east of beth When this was written, Jerusalem was called Jebus and it was inhabited by the Jebusites, so they don't use Jerusalem as a placeholder, but Michmash was probably about 10 kilometres north, and you can still go there today, of Jerusalem. And the people hidden, and when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines were gathered together at Michmash, then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord has commanded you. 1 Samuel chapter 13, this scripture is approximately 400 years-ish after the children have come into the promised land. So they were in Egypt 400 years, they walked around the Sinai Peninsula in the desert for 40 years and then they had a series of judges that ruled over them in the 400 years that followed. So they had uh, Gideon, they had Samson, they had Deborah, they had Jephthah. You know, you could list off all of the judges that we read about in in the previous book, the book of Judges, but it comes on to a point where the nation of Israel wants a king. They want to look like and, and be like the rest of the rest of the countries that are around them who have kings and monarchies and centralized government systems. And, and so Saul is appointed and anointed as the first king. You know, this is before David, before Solomon, before Jerusalem was founded. So this is a long time ago. It's about 1050 BC, so you know, about 3,000 years ago. And this passage that we're reading today takes place in the early years of Saul's reign. So Saul had been anointed king and uh, he then shot off to 
um, Jabesh Gilead and he'd, he'd fought a war over there and, and, and looked after Jabesh Gilead, which is a town where the people were being oppressed. Um, and then he comes back and, and the Philistines invade. So Paul divide, Saul divides up his army and sends some of it with Jonathan and some of it with, stays with Saul and, um, and the Israelite army, they come together at a place called Gilgal. You know, this is geo- geographically, you've got Jerusalem, Michmash and Gilgal is a little bit closer to the Jordan River. All within, you know, maybe it'd be like saying uh, Nan, Handorf and Mount Barker. So it's all within a close proximity. And then Samuel the prophet says to Saul, don't go to battle. He says, but wait and on the seventh day I will come, we'll do the sacrifices and, uh, and then you'll be able to go and fight because then God will be with you. So what Saul does is over those seven days, he sees his army melting away. He sees everyone fading away and he sees the warriors that have fought with him, the thousands of people that have come to join him start melting away and they're hiding in the thickets. They're hiding in the caves. They've just gone and they've disappeared and he's watching this happen over the seven days and I can just picture Saul starting to get a little bit worried. And then Saul makes a decision. You know, he gets to that seventh day and he says, Samuel's still not here. He said he'd be here at the beginning, at the seventh day. He's still not here. So he decides, I'm going to do the sacrifices myself. Um, and I love the timing of this. When Saul does the sacrifices and as soon as he's done, there comes Samuel. Straight down the road on that seventh day, as promised. But Saul made a decision. He made a choice. He looked at everything that was going on around him and he made a choice to do the sacrifices himself. And Paul, as Saul says, you've chosen foolishly. You know, who's made a bad choice? I've made lots of bad choices in my life. I remember growing up, I grew up in Sejuna. It's about a day's drive from Sejuna to Adelaide. It's eight or nine hours. Um, And one day, it was a Friday, I'd finished work. I worked on an oyster farm and I finished work at about four o'clock and I got in my car at 5 p.m. and I thought, I'm going to drive to Adelaide. Um, as young 20-year-olds do, 19-year-olds, um, you know, full of bravado, daring do and bravado. And uh, so I get in my car, my 1990 EA Falcon, and I'm driving to, Sejuna, uh, to Adelaide from Sejuna and that drive across the Air Peninsula is notorious for kangaroos, especially dusk and, and night. So I thought, I need to stay awake. And they used to sell what they called Viking bars. Viking bars are like a Mars bar, or a, or a Snickers, but they're full of guarana. You know the stuff that they put in energy drinks? So it's like a Mars bar full of like hyper energy, hyper stuff. And so I'm driving, I'm by myself and I'm bored and I bought six of them. <laughs> and so I eat one and then I thought, oh, I may as well eat the other one. And within a couple of hours I'd eaten all six. I think that, you know it says on the label, not suitable for pregnant people and, you know, like pregnant ladies and... You know, anyway, I had six of them. So, they, so I'm driving and I get to Kimber and um, it's, it's the middle. It's like nine o'clock. It's pitch black and I am wired. <laughs> My eyes are wide open. And, you know, you get the jitters as well a little bit when you've got way too much sugar going through your veins. And I'm looking around and I'm just seeing things. I'm hallucinating. I'm seeing things. I'm driving along at 60 kilometres an hour because of all this sugar and I can't see. Is something going to jump out in front of me? And it was a bad choice. I ended up having to pull over at Port Augusta and having a breather as the sugar left my system before I kept on driving to Adelaide. You know, sometimes we make 
bad decisions. We make poor choices. I mean, that's life, right? Life is full of us making poor choices and bad decisions and we learn from them, we grow from them and then we keep moving on. But Saul's decision that he made to offer the sacrifices was poor because Samuel had given him a direction directly on behalf of God. So it's not just a poor decision where you're weighing things up. You know, Saul had heard specifically from God about what to do. Um, God speaks throughout the Old Testament in in these historical books, Judges, Samuel, uh, Kings, and he gives the leaders at that time battle plans. You know, he does it for Jericho. He does it for Gideon. They seem a little bit crazy. You know, march around the walls seven seven days in a row and then blow your trumpets. You know, like, like some of that's a little bit crazy at the time. But God gives plans. And Saul decided that he knew better. You know, the other thing that was made it a poor decision was because there was a separation of responsibilities between civic duties and religious duties. The king was the civic governor of, of the and, and obviously a representative of God, but there was priestly duties. And so what Saul did was he stepped from his kingly responsibilities into what should have been a responsibility of the priest Samuel. You see, the Bible tells us that Saul was handsome, that uh, he was head and shoulders taller than everyone else. He had money, he had possessions, he won battles, he was clever. He was even anointed, yet Saul still made the wrong decision. And it says in verse 13, the consequences of Saul's decision, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. He will establish your kingdom over Israel forever. That promise got passed on to David. And we know that Jesus is of the line of David. You know, Saul had the promise that his house would be the one that ruled Israel forever and that potentially the Messiah would have come from his household. The Lord's, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The consequences for Saul's uh, bad and poor decision making was disastrous for his family. He made a decision in the heat of the moment and thought, I'm going to make this decision because I believe it's, you know, whatever, for whatever reason. And it was disastrous for him and his family. And the reality is, if Saul can get it wrong, I can get it wrong. You know, Saul was, you know, I don't think anyone's described me as tall, dark and handsome. You know, Saul had it all. Saul had everything going on. He had donkeys. He had possessions. He was handsome. He was anointed. You know, all the things that I'd like to believe of myself. But if Saul made a bad decision, if things went wrong for Saul... You know, I don't know, maybe things can go wrong for me too. I believe that God had a plan and a purpose for Saul's life and and for for whatever reason, Saul didn't go ahead with that and that plan uh, ended. Jeremiah 29 verse 7 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans of good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You see, God has a plan for each and every one of us. God has a plan for you. God has a plan and a destiny in mind for your children, for your family, for your finances. God has a plan for you, a plan to give you a hope, to give you a future, a plan that is not only for you in the here and the now, but a plan that will go down in the generations to come. 
You know, I think about my grandma and I think about her all the time. This is my, my dad's mum. And, and my, my, my dad was an alcoholic, lying in the gutter, passed out in Cooper Pedy. And my grandma made a decision to pray. And she prayed and she prayed. And eventually my dad walked into Clemsic AOG and Pastor Paul Newsham told me the story um, just the other day that my dad walked in in 1974 or 73 because he was going to break up with my mum who was, who was at Clemsic AOG at the time. And then for whatever reason, my dad who was an alcoholic and had all sorts of things going on, he thought, I've got to get out of it. And he ran off. He ran out of the church straight into Harry Leesman's arms who grabbed him and gave him a big bear hug and my dad collapsed and gave his heart to Jesus. My grandma was a prayer. God had a plan for my grandma's life that didn't just affect her, but it affected me. It affected the generations. My nephew Lachlan is here as well. He stands here because God had a plan for my granny's life. God has a plan for your life, a plan that not only will affect you and your prosperity and your here and now, but it will affect generations to come. Saul had a plan for his life that not only affected him, but for generations to come. I believe this church, God has a plan. He said that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And I believe that this is going to be a place that as we lift God up, He will draw people into it, that we will see this auditorium full, that we'd see Sunday night services, that we would see people being saved, that we'd see lives transformed, that we would see hope to the hopeless. God has a plan. The plans that God has for you, the plans that God has for your generations to come, the plan that God has for this church, I've got to tell you, no man can defeat. Nothing above the world, nothing under the earth, no devil, no plan, no scheme. Nothing can destroy the plan that God has for you except you. The Philistines didn't derail Saul. Samuel didn't derail Saul's plan. It wasn't David because we hadn't even David hadn't even been into, in, in, entered into the story. It was Saul that derailed Saul. And if Saul can derail himself, maybe there's a possibility that I could derail the plans of God over my life. Today I want to look at four things that we learn from Saul that will help us to walk in the plan and the call of God. For our life. If you're taking notes today, my first point is obedience is greater than sacrifice. In his haste to win the battle, Saul decided to do the sacrifices himself. But the reality is that the outcome of the battle was never based on the sacrifices, it was based on Saul's. Obedience. You know, we see throughout the Bible, God giving weird and wonderful plans to people on how to win battles. You know, I mentioned Jericho. You get these fully trained, fully armed soldiers to walk around the walls of Jericho seven days straight and to be completely silent. And then on the seventh day, they make a noise and the walls just fall down. I mean, that's crazy. Um, you think about Gideon, as Gideon's there and he's brought an army together and God says to him, watch them all drink at the river and 
those that cup the water or versus those that lap the water like a dog and send those ones away and Gideon ends up with 300 men. You know, that's crazy. You think about all the different battles that God has given plans for throughout the, throughout the time of the Bible and some of them are pretty crazy. But the difference between them and Saul was that Gideon followed through. That Joseph followed through. You know, God sometimes gives us plans for our lives and he gives us things and gives us strategies and they may seem a little bit crazy. They may seem a little bit out there. But if it's something that I could think of, then it definitely didn't come from God. But God gives us plans and it's not the sacrifice that God asks for us from us, it's his obedience. Samuel 15 verse 22 has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of the rams. You know, sometimes we're running around and we're doing all these things for God and we're doing a million and one things and we're doing this for, for our family, we're doing this for our, our workplace, we're doing this for our church and we're doing this for God and we're doing that for God and God's saying, I didn't ask you to do any of it. Sometimes we're so burnt out on running around and doing all of the things and carrying the things that God never asked us to carry that we get burnt out and we throw our hands in the air and we say, God, don't you see everything I'm doing for you? And God says, I never asked you to do any of that. Obedience is greater than sacrifice and we blame God and we blame the church and we blame you know people within the church and we blame systems and processes for our burnout and for our overwork and 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 for a failure of God's plans in our lives but the reality is that sometimes it's not because God's asked us to do all that but we've just seen it and thought we could take it but God doesn't want us to do everything he wants to do what he directs us and calls us to do Matthew 11 28, and I've used this scripture a couple of times recently. Jesus says, and this is from the message translation uh, version, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You know, when we're running around and trying to do everything, but God is saying, come to me. Come to me. Come into my presence. Work with me. Carry my yoke. Carry the things that I've asked you to do. Carry what I want you to do. Carry what I need you to do. And I will give you rest and it, and it becomes easier and we begin to learn to walk and to operate in the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. The unforced rhythms of grace. You know, as someone who, who um, grew up by the beach and you know, grew up near some of the best surfing beaches in the world, um, you watch people and they're out in the ocean and you can choose to paddle hard and to, 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 to swim and do breaststroke or the butterfly or whatever it is that's your stroke of choice, and swim to come in. And then you watch these surfers and they take, they see the wave coming, they paddle two or three strokes and they stand up and then they effortlessly glide into the shore. 
And that's a picture of God's grace over our lives. You know, we can work hard, we can paddle, we can do the, the, the doggy paddle, uh, which is my stroke of choice as I'm swimming, um, as the kids try to bomb me in the pool. Or we can wait and we can see the unforced rhythms of grace, the waves of grace in our life, and we can work in those. You know, God asks us not to carry everything, but to work within his unforced rhythms of grace. When we fall into God's rhythms, when we run in the lane that God has laid out for us, life becomes so much easier. You know, the difference is, you know, and and it is a lot, and it can be hard work. There are things in my life that are hard work, but it's not hard. You know, it's hard work. Sometimes I'm up late at night doing things I don't want to be doing. You know, sometimes I'm talking to people or doing things or, or running around, running errands. You know, Friday evening I had to dash down to pick up the coffee grinder that, that I dropped off to be serviced in Unley so that we could enjoy beautiful coffee. And I as well partake, thank you, Naomi, in that coffee. And I'm driving to Unley from here and then back up to Ridgehaven and I'm thinking, man, I don't want to be driving all this way. Sometimes things are hard, but it's never hard work. It's never hard because God's, we work within God's unforced rhythms of grace. Four lessons we learn from Saul. Number one, obedience is greater than sacrifice. Number two, control is a killer of faith. You know, the human desire for control is real and it runs deep and it's natural within every one of us. And we could look and we could say, Oh, he's not talking about me, but the reality is we all like to control things and have things according to our own preference. You know, my mum is great for this. My mum, uh, when we first got married in particular, she'd come and she'd visit us in our house and she'd rearrange the cutlery drawer. And then she'd say, oh, I've rearranged the cutlery drawer. It makes a lot more sense like this. And I say, yeah, but it makes sense for you, but not for me. You know, my mum would come and she'd rearrange the furniture a little bit. I remember she was watching me hang out the washing one day and she made, made me ring, or tried to make me rehang the washing out, you know, in a way that things would air quickly and dry better. You know, my mum, and it's natural for all of us. When I go to my mum's house, I do the same back to her now. I rearrange her cutlery drawer. Uh, you know, just to keep her on her toes. Um, but control is a killer of faith, you know, Saul tried to control the outcome of the battle as a way to shore up his power as a newly anointed king. You know, he sees his army fleeing and he ends up from thousands, he ends up with 600 uh, to face an army. You know, you, you heard me describe how the Bible described the Philistines. It said you couldn't even count them, like the sands of grains of sand on the beach. You know, Saul's stressed and he's worrying and he tries to control the outcome of the battle and he feels his power base drifting, he feels his power base shifting and so he decides to make the sacrifices that he was never asked to make. All he was asked to do was to wait and in that moment his mind shifted from God and his promises and his faith in God to bring to pass those promises and they were replaced by his own sense of control. The army never made Saul king. God made Saul king. God was the one that saw him looking for donkeys and hiding in the baggage. God was the one that made Saul king. But Saul tries to control the battle. He tries to manipulate his troops. 
He says to them, see, the sacrifices are being done. God is with us. Don't run off everyone. You know, the sacrifices are being done. You know, he tries to manipulate his troops into staying. He tries to control Samuel and make Samuel come in Saul's time. He tries to control and manipulate the army. He tries to control and manipulate the priest. He tries to control and manipulate all of the circumstances around us. When we attempt to try and control the circumstances and the people in our lives and in the church and we manipulate circumstances and agendas, we put ourselves in the place of God. We take our faith and we move it from God and His abilities and in His power and in His provision and place that faith in ourselves and in our abilities. What we're saying is that I possess the skill and the intelligence and the ability, you know, my strategizing, my hard work, my labor, what I do for everyone, I, 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 what I've done, what I've built, what I've done, what I've planned, what I've strategized. What we're saying is I'm putting my faith in the I and not in the I am. It's my strength that will bring it to pass. But God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Rapha, the healer. He knows the beginning from the end. He is omnipotent, omniscient. He is our saviour, our redeemer. I will never put faith in my own plans. You know, God's given me giftings and God's given me abilities, but they will always fall second to the goodness, the grace of God because He is mighty. He is the one that will be our deliverer. He is the one that will be our provider. All he's asked to do is for us to lift his name high, to glorify him, to magnify him. My plans can fall away. My strategies can fall away. The programs can fall away because God is the one that runs the church. God is the one that runs my life. That's why tithing is so important because so often we live our lives strategizing and working out how to make ends meet from here to here and trying to work what risks to take in what property and what portfolio. And God is saying, take your finances from the economic systems of the world and put them into my systems of sowing and reaping, of, of summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Yes. Amen. See, not only do we elevate our ability over God, but we diminish the God-given gifting and calling on those around us. What Saul is saying to Samuel is, you're not needed. I'm a one-man band. I'm a one-man show. I can do it all on my own. I can fight the battles, be the king, do the sacrifices. You know, probably, I don't know, choose his own clothes as well. He doesn't even need a wife to do that. That's what Sarah does for me. She chooses my clothes. <laughs> what we're saying is that I know better, that I am better. Control is the killer of faith because it is faith that pleases God. It is by faith that you have been saved not of works, not of anything you've done, so that no one can boast. And I pray that God would give us plans and visions and, and, and dreams and what to do with this house and with this church and across all our campuses in Modbury and in Tail and Bend, but for you in your life as well, that God would give you a plan and a purpose. Control is the killer of faith, and without faith it is impossible to please God. If it frightens you, if it scares you, if you feel out of control, then have faith. You can have faith or you can have control, but you can't have both. 
Sometimes life feels out of control, but just remember you have a Father in heaven who loves you, He cares for you, and He will work all things together for the good for those who love Him and are called by His name. Four things we learn from Saul. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. Control is a killer of faith. And thirdly, pride comes before a fall. James 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, when Samuel confronts Saul, at that moment, Saul's just made the sacrifices. He's done what he shouldn't have done. And Samuel comes and and he's like, what have you done? You've chosen foolishly, Samuel. There's no repentance. There's no humility. There's no, oh man, I have... I can't believe I've done that. I'm so, and there's no, there's no seeking forgiveness from Samuel for undercutting his role and his responsibility as priest. There's no seeking forgiveness from God for going outside of the plan that God had for that battle. There's, there's no humility in that. Instead, he just doubles down. He, he doubles down on the plan that he had and he says, oh, sorry, Samuel. No, he doesn't say sorry, Samuel. He says, oh, okay. But then he just keeps on going with the plan that Saul had for himself. You see, pride doubles down. Pride just is like an anchor for a ship that digs into the ground and stops a ship from floating. Pride is like an anchor in your life and it will dig deep into the sand and it will stop you from moving on with the things that God has for your life. Pride keeps us going down the same path that we'd already determined. And Maybe someone's come to you, maybe your wife, maybe someone from the church and they've said maybe this isn't a wise thing for you to do. Maybe God's speaking to you and you hear God's voice saying this isn't the right path for you. And pride is the thing that stops us from listening to the voices around us. Pride is an absence of repentance and humility and and the thing that blocks you from changing behaviour. Saul lets Samuel leave. But he keeps going down the same path. Even when everything is falling down around him, his pride stands tall. You know, I contrast Saul to David and and that's what we do naturally because David was the next king and God says he was the man after his own heart. And you think about David when he had an affair with Bathsheba. Um, He had the affair with Bathsheba. He had uh, Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, killed in war. You know, you think of the list of crimes that David has committed from, from adultery to murder. You know, David's list of sins is pretty comprehensive. But David's attitude is one that sets him apart from Saul. When Nathan the prophet comes to David and gives him that big analogy and, 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 da- and Nathan says to David, you are that man. Then David says in 2 Samuel 12, he says, he confessed to Nathan and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. He goes on to write and we know Psalm 51 and we know the song. He, he, sing, he writes the psalm, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Don't cast me away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. In life, we can see everything falling down around us. We can hear a word from God and we can hear His voice and people are speaking into us and we can hear everything that's going on. 
And we can choose to dig in or we can choose to have humility and repentance and be able to go back into the plans that God has for our life. You know, even despite everything that David had done, God still loved him. God still forgave him. And God still used him to bless us even today through the birth of Jesus and his death, burial and resurrection. In life, we can have everything falling down. But the first place that we should look when life isn't going well is to start looking inside of us and think, what is it inside of me? What do I need to repent of? What do I need to seek forgiveness of? What do I need to change course in? You know, be the first to apologise and, and seek forgiveness. You know, I remember I was in a, in a previous job and it didn't end well. It didn't end overly well. There was just, we just didn't fit together organisationally, me and the organisation I was working with and and the guy that I was working under, um, my manager, and there was all sorts of tension and there was all sorts of issues and we ended up leaving and, and I walked away and people would say to me, you know, they'd be looking for the gossip and they'd be looking for this and, and I was really, I, I felt really mistreated. I felt like I had been gaslit, I felt like I'd been undercut, I felt like promises that had been made had been cancelled and, and all, all of this and I walked away from this organisation hurt and disappointed because of the actions of a couple of people. And so I walked away and I was just, and I had justification in my anger, in my bitterness, and in my unforgiveness. The thing that I chose to do, and, and, and um, you know, Pastor David and I have been, Pastor David Hall and I have been friends for, for many, many years, um, for about 22, 23 years. And and he said to me at the time, he said, you need to go and apologise. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, I'm, I'm the one that was mistreated. I'm the one that was hurt. And he said, but you need to go and extend grace. You need to show love. You need to be the first to forgive. And what it was, it was a lesson that I needed to learn in my life. And so I went and I organised coffee with this guy. And, and I sat down with him. And I said to him, I said, oh, I'm really sorry for anything that I might have done that might have hurt or offended you. You know... Seeking forgiveness is taking ownership of what you have done. And so, you know, out of my own emotion, I had probably, and I still think I probably did, react in inappropriate ways. You know, not that I did anything crazy or wild, but, you know, I acted out of bitterness. So I went to him and I said, you know, I'm really sorry. We met at a cafe. I asked, I asked for your forgiveness. And he goes, yeah, no, thank you. You did, you did hurt me. Um, and thank you for apologising. And then he walked out. And I thought... Well, hang on, <laughs> you're meant to do the same to me. But the reality is in that moment that I asked and I apologised and asked forgiveness, a whole burden was lifted off of me. The way that I viewed that person just changed completely. The way that I viewed that whole situation, it was like God did a work of grace in my life. You know, the, 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 the apology and the forgiveness necess- wasn't necessarily for him, but was for me. And what it would have been is I could have doubled down in pride and said I was justified, I was right. What I did, my actions were because of him and her and because of this and because of that. But the reality is that I needed to seek forgiveness, not for them, but for me. And sometimes there are things in our life that we need to seek forgiveness for. And we need to ask God and to show humility and ask God to allow us to forgive. Not because of them, but because of the work of grace that he does in our lives. Four lessons that we learn from Saul. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. 
Control is the killer of faith. Pride comes before a fall. And finally, God's timing is always perfect. If the band could join me, that would be fantastic. Now, God's instructions were pretty basic for Saul. They weren't overly complex, unlike you know, the, the, the plan he gave to Gideon, the plan he gave to, to all of these people that have gone before him. The plan was pretty basic. It was just to wait. Um, it's kind of like when COVID first started. And they said, all you've got to do is go home, stay home and watch Netflix. Like, obviously, there's a lot of feeling around COVID and, and what that was. But that part of, part of it, I was really happy with. Um, being able to just watch Netflix for a couple... It lasted for about two days. Um, and then I remembered I have a family and kids and it was actually a nightmare. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> not literally. Like, I love my family. God's instructions were pretty basic for Saul. It was to, to stay and wait and then wait. And then on the seventh day, Samuel would come and offer the sacrifice and then they would fight. Saul made it halfway through that seventh day and he gave up and he did the sacrifice himself. Imagine what it would have happened if he'd waited a couple of hours. Imagine if he'd just waited and relied on God's timing and not decided to control things and take things into his own hands. So many times in our life, I feel like we're on the edge of breakthrough and, we, and, we, and we, we sort of play chicken with it and we give up in the last moment. What would happen if we actually waited on God's timing? How many times have we been so close to breakthrough that we've been decided to give up or we've decided to deviate? You know, God's timing is perfect. Yeah. It's not our timing. He doesn't come when, he, when we want Him to come. But his timing is always perfect. You know, I remember when I studied at Bible College 20, 20 something years ago, and I left Sejuna and I left with a call of God on my life. I left knowing that I was called into ministry. I left knowing that God had a plan and that he wanted to use me. And I went into Bible College and I loved Bible College. It was a great time. And I left Bible College and I completely thought that someone would see how awesome I was and decide to ask me to come and be a youth pastor or, or to do something. And, and, you know, there was one church. It was a uniting church. And they'd come to me and they said, we could employ you a day to be a youth pastor at the uniting church. And, um, you know, I knew that wasn't from God because I'm an AOG boy uh, through and through. And that wasn't the plan. And I, knew, and I knew that. And I made that decision that this wasn't God's timing for me. I heard from God. And then... I left Bible college and I'm, and I'm bit, I'm bold, I'm courageous, I'm studied up, ready to go, anointed, handsome, even if I do say so myself. And uh, I walked out and my first job was, um, was picking grapes. In Clarendon for two weeks, I picked grapes. You got paid by the bucket and I wasn't very good at it. And so I actually lost money in that job, <laughs> considering the fuel I paid. And then I, um, then I got a job doing furniture removal. And I did that for three months. And um, furniture removal is incredibly hard work. You've got to lift heavy things. And I'm not really built for manual labour. I'm a pastor. <laughs> and so I ended up getting a job at McDonald's in Felixstowe. And I worked there for three months as well. And so I worked at McDonald's. And now I'm waiting. God's definitely going to, you know, something's around the corner for me. Something's coming. And so then... Uh, I got a job working for Telstra in a call centre. 
and I took calls for a number of years and then I worked in a management role overseeing scheduling and programming and all of this for four and a half years. God's definitely, it's about to happen. God's about to bring me into ministry. I'm serving faithfully at church. I'm doing all the right things. It's definitely about to happen. Then I left there and I worked at World Vision for over four years as the state operations team leader and I oversaw the state office there and managed different things within World Vision in South Australia. And it's definitely about to happen. God's call and God's plan is going to definitely happen right now. And then I ended up working at school's ministry group. You know, it wasn't until I was in my early to mid-30s before I think I was 34, 33, that I actually entered into full-time paid ministry or any type of paid ministry. God's timing is perfect. All those years I'm thinking God has forgotten about me. He's given up on me. What have I done? What what did I do? What hidden sin is there in my life? But the reality is all along God was actually preparing me for what I needed to be able to run in the role that God had planned for me. I was disappointed. I was unsure of the future. But God's timing is perfect and I wouldn't change it at all. I wouldn't do it again and think I wish something else was different because everything that I've taken, my time was never wasted. It was spent learning and preparing and getting me ready for where I am today because it's in the waiting that character is built, that anointing is deepened, that gifts are grown and developed. David waited in the paddock before entering the palace. Joseph waited in the prison before becoming the Prime Minister. Abraham waited childless for a hundred years before seeing the fulfilment of God's promise. After dramatically departing slavery in Egypt, the children of Israel wandered 40 years before crossing into the promised land. Jesus waited 30 years before He started His ministry. Waiting tests our faith, it tests our resolve, and it gives God an opportunity to work in us. The plans that God has for you, plans for a hope, plans for a future, will come to pass in God's timing. But it's up to us to use the waiting to be able to prepare ourselves, to grow our faith, to grow our anointing, to deepen our character, to become the person that God is calling us to be. Paul says in Galatians, in his letter to the church in Galatia, in chapter 1, verse 6, He says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God has a plan for you and He will bring it to pass as we just choose to step away from control, step into obedience, to be able to walk in God's timing for our lives. God's plan will come to pass.